You're listening to ReachMD XM160, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to Medical Breakthroughs from Penn Medicine with your host, Northwestern University internist, Dr. Lee Friedman. How are the latest advances in autogenous breast reconstruction changing the landscape of options available to women after mastectomy? Joining us to discuss breast reconstructive microsurgery is Dr. Joseph Serletti, the Henry Royster William Maul Meese Professor of Surgery and Chief of the Division of Plastic Surgery at Penn Medicine. Thank you for being with us, Dr. Serletti. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me. Well, I know very little about breast reconstruction, but I understand that you do a technique called free flap breast reconstruction? That is correct. And what is this technique? This technique takes a block of tissue, usually from the abdomen, but we do go to other areas, and it takes a block of tissue, typically the tissue that we would discard when we do a tummy tuck or Mm -hmm. abdominoplasty, and we take that tissue on its feeding vessels, which are the inferior epigastrics, and we can completely remove that from the abdomen, and then we bring it up to the mastectomy defect, either right at the time that the mastectomy has been performed or for anyone who's had a mastectomy, and we refer to that as a delayed reconstruction. And then we typically anastomose the interabigastrics to the internal mammary vessels. We take out the third costal cartilage, and that's how we access them. And that reestablishes the blood supply to the tissue, and then the tissue we just mold into a breast. And in the case of a unilateral reconstruction, we sit the patient up and we try to match both the ptosis and the volume and the projection of the intact breast on the other side. And then in the case of bilateral reconstruction, we take that lower abdominal skin island that we're removing and we split it in half, and one half makes one breast and one half makes the other. Very interesting. And the more traditional pedicled transverse rectus abdominis myocutaneous or tram flap differs from this in what ways? Okay. So back in the early 1980s, we had an enormous change in our ability to reconstruct breasts. We were pretty much limited to implants at that point. Mm -hmm. And uh, Dr. Hartramp from Atlanta came up with the idea of a pedicle tram flap, which is, again, taking this tissue that was ordinarily discarded when we did a tummy tuck, but keeping it attached to either one or both rectus abdominis muscles, and then harvesting either one or the both complete rectus abdominis muscles based on its superior epigastric blood supply. And that skin island would be then passed through a subcutaneous tunnel from the abdominal donor site into the mastectomy site. You know, that basically brought this same, you know, very pliable soft tissue to the mastectomy site where we could then mold it into a a very natural breast mound. The issue with that is that you're harvesting one and sometimes both complete rectus abdominis muscles. And there's more than just an occasional patient who has difficulty with that in terms of returning to normal activities, including athletics. Sure. So... In the very late 1980s, Jim Grotting from Birmingham, Alabama, introduced the regular use of the free tram flap, and that was taking advantage of the inferior blood supply, which actually was more direct, and now just taking a small piece of muscle with those vessels and leaving behind far more of the abdominal wall intact. So the major difference is the limitation on the abdominal wall morbidity. I see. And with the free flap construction that you're doing now, there still is some muscle that is taken? 
Well, it's an excellent question because we have very much tried to move away from that. The free tram certainly was a big advance over the pedicle tram flap in terms of abdominal wall morbidity. But we were still taking a piece of muscle and the occasional patient still got a bulge or still had some issues with returning to normal athletic activities. As we did this more and more, we realized that the real blood supply to that skin island was coming from perforating vessels. These are big branches off of the inferior pagastric, which perforate through the muscle and the anterior rectus fascia and then supply the, the skin and the fat. And so as we did more and more of this, we actually started taking less and less muscle. And then a couple of folks introduced the perforator flap, and that is finding one or two or sometimes three major perforators and meticulously dissecting them through the muscle, preserving all of the rectus fascia, all of the muscle, and also, most importantly, preserving the motor nerves, which are going transversely in the muscle fibers. And then following that down to the infrabigastrics and then separating the infrabigastrics off of the remaining attachments to the vessels. Now, it, it sounds like a long, tedious process, but we've actually gotten pretty quick with it. Yeah, it does sound to me like it would require very fine microsurgery to preserve the nerves, make sure you're not damaging the vessels. And how long does a procedure like this typically take? Well, to do a unilateral reconstruction takes about four hours. To do a bilateral takes six to eight hours. And it really doesn't matter now whether we're doing a free tram flap or a DIP flap. I think that, and it's not just us, most people who do this routinely, we've gotten very facile at identifying these vessels, separating the rectus fibers, and and uh, really doing this very efficiently. And the benefit is when you take this tissue, what you're looking at is skin fat and this big leash of blood vessels with the perforators. And when you look at what you're leaving in the abdominal wall, You've got all the rectus muscle, you've got all the innervation to the rectus muscle, and we're basically just closing up an incision in the anterior rectus fascia so that there's no missing anterior rectus fascia either. So we really are leaving behind all of the abdominal wall structures, and we're hopefully leaving behind all of those structures as functional structures. And you mentioned the timing of this can be done either at the time of the mastectomy or any time after a mastectomy has been done. Is there a difference in outcome based on timing? Does the extent of the malignancy play into when you do this? How is that decided? I think uh, let's start with the extent of the malignancy. We have a series of people where we have done free flap breast reconstruction in patients with advanced disease, stage 3 and stage 4. And, you know, our oncologists and our breast surgeons, you know, have felt that it's not appropriate to deny these people immediate breast reconstruction. And we actually looked some years ago at our patients with advanced disease, and we looked at both the survivors and the non-survivors. About half the group with advanced disease was still alive when we looked at it, and the other half had deceased. And of those who had deceased, they lived three and a half years after their mastectomy and reconstruction. And then we interviewed the survivors and we interviewed the spouses of the patients who had died of their disease. And it was pretty much 100% that the surviving spouses obviously felt that this was a very worthwhile thing for their wife. And the survivors also said that this was a very worthwhile thing. And if you think about it, 
if these people with advanced disease, if half of them are still are living three plus years after their mastectomy reconstruction, we feel it's not appropriate to deny them a breast reconstruction for that period of time. So It certainly makes sense to me that it's got to do wonders in terms of self-esteem and, and not being identified as being ill and sick and very, very important. Absolutely. So to get back to the immediate versus the delayed, there's no differences in outcome complications. The only difference is in the immediate setting, our breast surgeons can do a skin-sparing mastectomy, and in some cases, they do a nipple-sparing mastectomy, so that if they do a nipple-sparing mastectomy, the nipple is there. There's just a lateral incision through which the breast tissue is removed, and then we insert the fat from the abdomen. So it, it looks very much like the breast that they had before, if the nipple is going to be removed, usually just the skin around the nipple is removed with a little lateral extension, and then so that all of the skin of the breast envelope stays behind, and again, we just take the skin and the fat, we replace the skin of the areola with skin from the abdomen, and the rest is just filled with the fat from the abdomen. And when we do it that way, you have a breast, which looks really for all the world like a breast with the exception that there's a circle of abdominal skin where the nipple was. Mm -hmm. And so six or nine or 12 months later, we then do a nipple reconstruction within that circle. And when that's all settled down, it very much looks like a breast. So that you can do in the immediate setting. In the delayed setting, there's missing skin, there's some soft tissue contracture, so that the aesthetic results are not as good in the delayed reconstruction. That's not a reason not to do it, obviously. It's just that, you know, we can't get around some of the missing skin and soft tissue contracture that's occurred following the mastectomy. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Medical Breakthroughs from Penn Medicine on ReachMD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Lee Friedman, and joining me to discuss breast reconstructive microsurgery is Dr. Joseph Serletti, the Henry Royster William Mall Measy Professor of Surgery and Chief of the Division of Plastic Surgery at Penn Medicine. Dr. Serletti, are there other types of flaps that are done that don't involve the abdomen? Sure. And I'll tell you when we consider them to begin with. If a patient's had an abdominoplasty, if a patient's very thin, but they still want the very natural result that we can achieve using the patient's own tissue, we then look at other sites. And the other two most common sites are the upper inner thigh and the uh, lower buttock, either the lower or the upper buttock. I tend to prefer the lower buttock, but a group of my colleagues also prefers the upper buttock. And even in a very thin person, particularly the buttock area is where we go because most people will have some redundant buttock tissue. Again, I have a preference for the lower buttock. And what we do is we take out skin and fat. We also do this as a perforator. We used to do this by taking a segment of the gluteus maximus muscle, and then we would base it on any, either the inferior gluteal vessels if you take the lower buttock, or you base it on the superior gluteal vessels if you take the upper buttock. But we've applied the same perforator technology, and almost all the time that we do a gluteal flap, we do it as a perforator. And mm -hmm. uh, indeed, you can find typically one, sometimes two large perforators, and we dissect those through the gluteus maximus muscle to the point where all the branches of the inferior or superior gluteal vessels join up and then we harvest those vessels at their origin. 
Now, that operation does take a little longer, and I'll tell you why. Because if we're doing it in the immediate setting, we can't harvest this tissue while they're doing the mastectomy because the patient's lying supine. So Mm -hmm. the breast surgeon does their mastectomy. We then take out the third costal cartilage, and we get the internal mammary vessels ready to go. We temporarily close the mastectomy. We then have to flip the patient prone. We harvest the flap. We take the flap to the side table, close the buttock, flip the patient again to the supine position, and then complete the breast reconstruction. So a unilateral reconstruction usually takes about six hours. So a little bit more involved, and that's understandable based on how you described it. Are there particular complications or risks with these free flap type of procedures you're describing? Well, the most important thing that we are concerned with with any free flap is thrombosis. Free flap, unlike pedicle flaps, have more of an all-or-none phenomenon. I think that most routine microsurgeons have very low rates of thrombosis. So what we do with our patients who have free flap breast reconstruction is they go to sort of a step-down ICU situation where they have one-on-one nursing. And what we do is we mark the tissue where a Doppler signal is identified. And uh, the nurses have become superb at both doing Doppler checks as well as just looking at the skin island. And what they're doing is they're making sure they hear an arterial signal where we have identified one with a Doppler. And they do that every hour for the first 48 hours and then every four hours for the next 48 hours. And they also look at the color of the flap because you can still have an arterial signal when you have a venous thrombosis, and that will go for a long time. So the nurses will look at the skin island, make sure that they don't see any untoward signs of congestion. Mm -hmm. If they do, they call us, or in the case of an arterial thrombosis, you have an immediate loss of the arterial Doppler signal, they call us. Fortunately, and we tell all the patients this, it happens rarely. Our own numbers year to year don't change. Our thrombosis rate is under 2%, and our failure rate is 0.6%. So That's impressive. We take one or two patients back a year, and we lose one flap a year, one flap every other year. Well, I very much want to thank Dr. Joseph Serletti for being with us, talking to us about newer approaches to breast reconstruction. He kind of outlined some of the traditional approaches and then some of the newer free flaps that are being done and how this is providing a better cosmetic result for our female patients who require or desire breast reconstruction. You've been listening to Medical Breakthroughs from Penn Medicine on ReachMD XM160, the channel for medical professionals. To download this program or access ReachMD on demand, please visit us at ReachMD.com. Thank you for listening.